Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry focusing on God's unconditional love and grace. On today's broadcast, Andrew's joined by author and advocate for Christian apologetics, Alex McFarland. Internally, the Bible affirms itself. Externally, the evidence supports it. And if I'm going to believe God on eternity, I want to believe God on creation. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Wednesday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. This week I'm doing a very special set of programs where I'm interviewing my friend Alex McFarlane. And we are glad to have you back with us, Alex. Buddy, it's been awesome. Man, I love you and I love Karis and I love all that you're doing and it's a great honor to be here. So if you've missed any of the programs, we started this on Monday. Alex has been in ministry for, what, 30 years or more? You might say so. He's been doing uh, Truth for uh, the Next Generation conferences for 22 years. He's had hundreds of thousands of people come to his conferences. He's ministered in over 2,000 churches, which to me, that is a major accomplishment. I've been in ministry for 52 years, and I guarantee you I hadn't come close to 2,000 churches. Well, I haven't said no to very much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's one, one day I'll be in a hot dog supper with a dozen teens, and the next day I might be in front of a large audience, but um, we've stayed pretty steady. Well, I, I would <laughs> say so. So anyway, the reason I wanted Alex on here is because God's laid it on my heart that we need to systematically start training people how to have a biblical worldview or a biblical way of looking at life, looking at our society, processing everything. And so I'm beginning to teach on that, but it's going to be 2020 before I get all of my stuff put out. And I just felt like we need to do something now. And since Alex has been doing this, I wanted him to come on. So well, the first two days of this week, we've been, we talked about how important a biblical worldview is, and then we talked about how important the Bible is and is there internal and external evidence for the accuracy of the Bible. So we've been talking about that, yeah. and we want to move on. I'd like to get into some of the uh, moral issues of the day mm -hmm. and uh, how you defend against the onslaught. I mean, our society today is challenging every moral norm. Oh, yeah. I mean, adultery isn't even debatable with even most Christians today. They will accept adultery, divorce, remarriage as just normal, shacking up with people. Yeah. It's like taking a test drive on a car. You just need to check them out before mm. you get married to them. We've, we've, very few people would even fight over that anymore. And now they're getting into homosexuality yeah. and promoting transgenderism and uh, abortion, even after the child is delivered Heaven outside of the womb. How do you defend these morals that are set forth in the Bible versus the new morality that's being promoted today? Well, great question. And uh, l let me dispel at the front side an objection that secularists have. Secularism is life without God, and we were not founded as a secular country. But if you begin to talk about morality, the skeptic will often say, oh, that's a violation of the First Amendment because the First Amendment says that Congress will make no law regarding the establishment of religion. Um, 
in no way did the First Amendment, mm -hmm. uh, in, was it drafted to mean that we abolish morality. By the way, it's very interesting. The man that wrote the First Amendment was a Christian. Yep. His name was Fisher Ames, A-M-E-S. Fisher Ames wanted the Bible taught in all public schools because, quote, he said it is the best vehicle for teaching morality to young people. And I often ask when I'll do a debate at a college, I'll say, so to talk about morals, and we're not talking about salvation yet, but morality violates the First Amendment? How is it that 21st century secularists know more about the application of the First Amendment than the man that wrote the First Amendment? And of course, they don't have an answer. But in the Bible, we've got the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. But we can really defend morality even apart from the Bible, and I'll explain why. Sociologists have documented, and Christians too, C.S. Lewis is one, uh, Jay Budziszewski, who's a Christian scholar in Texas, all cultures throughout history have said, you don't lie, you don't steal, you don't murder, you don't take your neighbor's wife, you don't bear false witness. The very same moral code that's in Exodus 20 has been basically the ethical standard for civilized societies throughout all of world history. And only when you depart from it is when those societies fall apart. Exactly, exactly. Our nation has got to recover a moral awareness. Now, our, our legal system, and I'll tell you, brother, why there was such a, 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 a street fight over Neil Gorsuch or Brett Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. um, there was a fight over those men being appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court because they believe in morality. That's right. Now, in the legal sense, it's called natural law. In other words, it's just natural to a man and a woman get married to have a baby. That, and it's unnatural to try something otherwise. It's, it's also impossible to have exactly. a baby any other way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But when Jefferson in the Declaration wrote, we're endowed by our Creator, mm -hmm. capital C, Creator, with certain inalienable rights, he was invoking morality, that God is the foundation of morality. Now, down through the centuries, from the second president, um, James Madison, and all the, the great leaders, they knew that we were based on morality. Well, now, James Madison wasn't a second president. Uh, John Adams. John Adams. John, thank you. Okay. I appreciate that. James Madison <laughs> was called the chief architect of the U.S. Constitution. Yeah, I think he wasn't he the fourth president. Yeah, he was fourth. And you're right. You're right. Um, but the point I was going to make was this, that they believed in morality. Uh, that is the foundation of Absolutely. our civilized society. And here's the point. Going to church and getting saved is another thing, but in no way did the founders ever believe that we would abolish moral boundaries. And one of the entities of our society that helped uphold morality were the judicial systems, you know, the court system. In the 20th century, though, uh, we began to get away from natural law uh, judiciary to a progressive judiciary. And let me just insert a parenthesis that natural law is the term that was used in the Constitution and things like this, but they were referring to God-established yeah. law. They exactly. just used that terminology. They did. Yeah, they but did. they were referring to that it was God that established these natural laws. I think about Judges 5 verse 8 speaking of ancient Israel, that says when they chose new gods, there was chaos within the gates. Mm -hmm. Now it goes on, Judges 5, it says, when they chose new gods, there was chaos within the gates, 
There was not found a shield nor a spear among 40,000 men in Israel. Do you see, the, the spiritual loyalty is transferred, the social structure is decayed, the means of defense is weakened. Now, if you got 40,000 Israelite men, there should be a shield or a spear. But when Israel abandoned their God, they had chaos within the gates and the, the national defense was weakened. In America, we have chosen new gods. Oftentimes, it's our own self. Uh, we have anarchy. We have an unraveling of the social structure, mm -hmm. unraveling of the family structure. And, do you know, I grew up and um, it was always said that we had fought wars, but there was never American blood shed on American soil other than the Civil War. 9-11 changed that, didn't it? Um, I, I remember we all had so many emotions during 9-11, but my heart was heavy, Andrew, because American blood being shed on American soil, um, our hedge of protection was gone because God, at least to a degree, God had pulled back his protective hand. Well, I would say it this way. It's not that God pulled back because of our sins. It's us that pushed him back. We In other words, I often use this. People say, well, why did God let this happen? It's like if I had this huge umbrella and you and I were standing under it and it was raining out there, well, then that would protect you. But if you walked out from under the umbrella and got wet, don't blame me. Exactly. I had this protection here, but you departed from it. And we have systematically been taking this nation away from God, prayer mm -hmm. out of the schools, going against everything God says. And I don't believe it's God that lifted His hand from us, but He is a gentleman. He doesn't force us yes. to serve Him. And we have walked away. We rejected Him, and we are the ones that opened ourselves up to Satan's attacks. That's true. That's absolutely true. Um, I was on a show in Washington called The Tom Hartman Show. He's an atheist, and it's a radio show. And he said this, and, and um, I, I want to be very careful how I say this. He said, well, you can't force people to be a Christian. And I said, of course not, and I, I would never try it. He said, well, you evangelicals, you want to cram your worldview down everybody's throat. And I said, no, let me, let me be clear. If, if you don't want to believe in Jesus, nobody's going to twist your arm. If you want to be an atheist, you can do that or whatever. But what we can't let you do is, is abolish morality and tear down the context that gives you the freedom to safely walk around as a non-believer. See, we have a, pre, a free, prosperous, safe America because of our moral foundation. And what we've allowed celebrities to do, judges to do, elected officials, educators, they've, for 40 years plus, they've been telling young people, there is no God you evolved. There is no moral absolute. It's all relative. Do whatever you want to do. And we're to the point, I mean, obviously, job one, get people saved. But look, without a moral revival, we will lose our Constitution. Absolutely. And so I say to people, if you don't want to be a believer, knock yourself out. I'm sorry for you, but all, even the atheist should care that we recognize morality. Absolutely. Because we will have a society of lawlessness if we don't. You know, our first vice president, our second president of the United States, John Adams, he said that uh, democracy is totally unfit for anybody but a religious and moral people. Yeah. If America ever ceases to be moral, 
democracy will destroy us. Yeah. And that's exactly where we find ourselves. It's the lack of morality that is just turning people loose. And another verse that our founding fathers used to found this nation on is Jeremiah 17, 9, where yeah. it says the heart is evil and desperately yeah. wicked. Today there is a mindset that, no, people are basically good. Yeah. And if we just gave them enough money, if they were out of the slums, if they had this, if they had that, they would just all be good. Yeah. The Bible is based on the opposite premise. This nation was founded on the fact that people have this fallen nature on the inside of them. That's the reason they set up three branches mm -hmm. of government to be able to counterbalance each other. Because sure. investing power in one person alone, it was one of these guys, I forget which one, says power uh, corrupts mm -hmm. and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yes. You know, Alexander Hamilton, who wrote the Federalist Papers, famously said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. But we're not. And there has to be something to restrain the, the human passions, they would say. Yeah. Now, Jeremiah 17, 9 is a great verse. It says, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? I did a little study on that. Isn't that a fascinating question? Who can know it? We can't even comprehend our own capacity for iniquity. I mean, we're sinners. Without the redemptive change of Jesus, um, the human heart is full of, of evil, the human tongue full of deadly poison. And I think what was unique about America, the founders understood human nature. Absolutely. A lot of the people today that said, well, people are basically good. You don't have to work. We'll give you a check. They don't understand that people abuse the system. People are greedy. William Bradford in the Plymouth Colony it was all selfishness and nobody would work. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give everybody a piece of land and it's yours. You're accountable. You know, and when people had to um, be responsible and accountable, they decided to discipline themselves. And instead of being lazy, they would work. Instead of being uh, greedy, they would be um, uh, charitable. And instead of stealing, they would get honest. The founding fathers knew the only thing that could rein in fallen man is, is the moral code and the God who gave it. Absolutely. You know, I've just recently got this revelation, so I, I want to share it. But in the 19th chapter of the book of Judges is one of the most perplexing things I've ever read in the Bible about the Levite that had a concubine and the men wanted to come and have sexual relationships with him. And he says, no, that's terrible. Here, take my concubine. And they took his concubine and abused her sexually all night long, threw her on the doorstep. She died. He took her home, cut her into 12 pieces, and sent one piece of her body to, to every tribe. They were so incensed. They showed up. What's going on? He told them about what the men of Benjamin did. They went down, killed 60,000 people. And then they nearly wiped out the entire tribe of Benjamin. So there was only 600 Benjamites left. And they said, now they, they don't have any wives. We've killed all of their women, their children, everything. What are we going to do? And we've sworn that we wouldn't ever give them any of our daughters. So what do we do? So they went down to another place and killed all of the men there and took 400 virgins and gave them to the Benjamites. And they still were short. And so they told the Benjamites to go down to a festival that was being held to the Lord. And they went in and took all of these teenage girls who were dancing in a procession for the Lord. And they just captured them and took them as wives. 
And all of this stuff happened, and you wonder, why in the world is this in the Bible? And I just got a revelation on this. It's like that's in chapter 19, 20, and 21. And in chapter 17, verse 6, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And then in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It's like this is a bookend saying, Here is what's possible when every man does whatever he wants to. There is no civil authority. There's no moral authority. And you leave people to their own. Their heart is evil and yeah. desperately wicked. And this is in the Bible to show you what men's hearts are really like. And our society today is trying to throw off these restraints that have worked for 250 years in the United States, actually longer than that through the colonies and stuff. They're throwing off these restraints, trying to get to where everybody can do what's right in their own eyes. And this is what it's leading to. It will destroy this nation. It will not be utopia. It will be anarchy. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I would say, you know, from the late 60s up to the present time, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting. If you look at America in 1960 versus America in 1970, I, I dare say that more change happened in that decade. And we're feeling the ripple effects of that change to this mm -hmm. day. I mean, think about it. When, when 1960 began, it was uh, Leave it to Beaver and Lucy and Ricky. When 1970, uh, began. It was Woodstock, LSD. Um, the, I, I'm not going to name all the names. I, I know a lot of the names, but there was um, there were anarchists and revolutionaries. And if you want to look at the world that many of the the anti-moral thinkers are proposing, look at Woodstock. There's another concert called Burning Man that happens, and it's out in the desert, and it's debauchery. There, there are murders and rapes and drunkenness, and it, it literally is the defilement of humanity. Uh, we have to have boundaries to rein us in. I, I mentioned G.K. Chesterton. He said, if man will not control himself within by the Ten Commandments, man will have to be controlled by the state through the Ten Thousand Commandments. That's right. In other words, all these laws. Um, I would pray, and it, it's got to begin, the salvation of the country must begin within the people of God. We, we know a lost world is not going to suddenly call people to God and truth. And so, um, in number one, our individual heart, a commitment to Jesus and to be salt and light, but then in marriages and families, and of course, in the church. And you know, we still, for all of our failures and foibles, we still have the numbers. There are 345,000 Protestant churches, tens of millions of Christians. Oh, absolutely. If we would unify, pray, witness, and let me say vote. Christians need to vote. If, if adult Christians would, would vote and vote godly, we could have any election from the Oval Office to the dog catcher. But you know, this is a part of a biblical worldview that somehow Christians have been taught that we're supposed to be um, moral in ourselves and in our churches, but we aren't supposed to get involved in the political realm. We aren't supposed to be in this. And that's, that's absolutely contrary to everything Scripture says. Well, it's, it's silly. Uh, why should we 
um, abdicate our, our duty. We have a duty to our fellow man. Um, a lady asked me in the church, she said, should, I'm a Christian, should I care about politics? I said, only if you care about the America you're going to live in tomorrow, mm-hmm. only if you care about the America that your grandkids will live in. Mm-hmm. Um, Edmund Burke was a statesman in colonial America, and you, you probably know the quote that I'm going to invoke, but Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary for evil to triumph mm-hmm. is for good men to do nothing. Yep. And the good men, the, the God's people, we, we have the privilege, but I would say really the duty to be informed, to be led by the Spirit, to say our prayers, and to be an influence. But somehow or another, it's been twisted that we're supposed to love everybody, and they think that if you st- speak out and say, this is right and this is wrong, then that's rejection, that's condemnation. Coddling that's what people think. Coddling my neighbor straight into hell, that's not love. Mm-hmm. I would say uh, love is the commitment to meet another person's needs. Um, love seeks the highest good of another, says First Corinthians 13. If I love my neighbor, I mean, re- in the biblical sense, I'm going to work toward the highest good. The greatest good is that they would find Jesus and be saved. Um, if I truly love my neighbor, I will tell them not only what they um, want to hear, but really what they need to hear. And you know, historically, I was just in the Capitol last week, and I heard again the story of Peter Muhlenberg. Oh yeah, who was a clergyman, and he got up and preached from uh, Ecclesiastes three. There's a time for everything, a time for war, and a time for peace. He took his robe off and showed underneath it his uniform, and he says, "This is a time to fight." And he recruited 300 men and formed the Re- Virginia Regiment. Amen. Our history shows that preachers were involved in politics, and not only politics, but war and fighting for what they believed in. Yeah. And today, you can't get many Christians that'll stand up and say much about anything. You know, the American Revolution began, the, the proverbial shot heard around yep. the world at Lexington. Parishioners were coming out of That's a church, right. and British soldiers fired on parishioners. Now, why were they at a church? Because they knew the churches were the recruiting houses for the Continental Army. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. That the church was very much involved. And, and I want to just say this, and I listen, I love pastors. I know you do too. We're in the preacher business. But a lot of pastors are, they need to ask God for a baptism of bravery. And they need to get some courage from on high and speak the Word of God. They need to grow a spine. They, they do, because <laughs> um, cowardly, silent pulpits are, are killing this nation. Absolutely. And, and I would say this, and I was on the phone with George Barna, the Barna Research Group, very hugely respected, trend watcher, sociologist. Three out of four parishioners want their clergy to speak on biblical, social, moral issues from a, from a scriptural perspective. Only 12% on a good day do. And it's probably less than that. Yeah. So I would say to the brother pastors, uh, don't be, the fear of man brings a snare. Absolutely. First of all, since when are we supposed to shape our preaching just on whether or not it makes everybody happy? That's a hireling. I- exactly. And the other thing is, seventy-five percent of your parishioners are wanting you to yeah. say what thus saith the Lord. We got to go. We're offering this book. We've announced this one. This is ten. 
uh, common questions, objections to Christianity, and we've only got about 10 seconds. What's this one about? 21 toughest questions your kids will ask about God. <laughs> You're awesome, Alex. <laughs> we will advertise that more. You can listen to our announcer, and he'll give you all the information. Plus, we've got his web address, uh, contact information on the screen. So please take advantage of it. I'm going to have Alex back again tomorrow. And so please tune in then as we continue to talk about a biblical worldview. Ready to get more out of God's Word than ever before? We gladly announce the newly recreated Andrew Womack Living Commentary. Study with Andrew from Genesis to Revelation. This living commentary is packed with a lifetime of Andrew's own footnotes on over 32,000 verses and counting. This extensive living commentary contains multiple translations of the Bible, including the King James Version Plus, along with Strong's Concordance, where you can find the original Greek and Hebrew text Andrew has also provided you with several historically respected commentaries. It's never been easier for you to study through the Bible with Andrew. Priced at only $120, this continuously updated living commentary is now available exclusively as a download for both Mac and Windows at awmi.net. Thanks to the support of our friends and partners, Karis Bible College is able to reach more people with the gospel than ever before through the continued expansion of our campus in Woodland Park, Colorado. Check out our latest construction update at awmi.net. We hope you enjoyed today's interview with Alex McFarland. If you'd like more information about Alex's ministry or his books titled The Ten Most Common Objections to Christianity and The 21 Toughest Questions Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity and How to Answer Them Confidently, visit his website at alexmcfarland.com. Andrew would like to make his teaching titled How to Stay Positive in a Negative World available to you. This teaching is available in a CD album, as seen on TV DVD album, or as a live DVD album made from a Gospel Truth seminar. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. We'd like to point out Andrew's upcoming speaking schedule. Mark your calendars to come meet Andrew at one of these events and let the Word of God transform your life. In the month of August, Andrew will be in Woodland Park, Colorado for the annual Healing is Here conference with special guests Greg Moore, Audrey Mack, Todd White, Daniel Amstutz, and Carly Terades. In September, Andrew will be in Sri Lanka via livecast. The special livecast event is only accessible at the BMICH main conference hall in Sri Lanka. 
Also in September, Andrew will be in Woodland Park to host the In God We Trust rally with guest speakers Lance Walnow, Dave Riffle, Pastor Mark Cowart, State Senator Dennis Heisey, and State Representative Mark Baisley. Then he'll be in Washington, D.C. for a Gospel Truth Conference with guest speaker Jeremy Pearsons. Later in September, he'll be in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Also, beginning September 30th, Andrew will be in Woodland Park, Colorado to host the annual Minister's Conference with guest speakers Arthur Menchez, Carrie Pickett, Audrey Mack, Pastors Bob Yandian, Bob Nichols, and Dwayne Sheriff. For more details on Andrew's next meeting in your area, visit our website at awmi.net. Join us again tomorrow as Andrew continues his interview with Alex McFarlane.